Good morning. We are Bill and Lee Hall with Wycliffe Bible Translators in the Philippines, otherwise known as SIL Philippines. This is our gang. All were born in the Philippines, and the eldest is now 53. We've been there a long time, and we'll stay with the race until it's done. We have found it so very true that we do not race alone. Abba Father is right there with us, Emmanuel, and by his spirit he sustains us. In any race, particularly that of Bible translation, it's teamwork. Developing a team and mentoring our replacements is like passing on the baton to the next runner or runners. And they as well must know the presence of Abba Father in their lives. That's part of the mentoring process. In our Bible translation race, we are passing the baton to a Subanan lady named Sharon, our mother tongue translator. A number of years ago, she heard the Lord's call to help us in translation through a dream. She's a diligent runner and has taken on the responsibility of being well-trained and is a diligent in translation. The vision God has given her is to translate the Old Testament into her language and eventually to be a translation consultant to others. She's now finishing up the last of her requirements before starting her dissertation for a PhD in linguistics at the University of Hawaii. But the race has so many obstacles. Satan, the destroyer, hates God and does what he can to knock us off the track and keep us from finishing. We've had much opposition to our Western Subana New Testament revision work. Several months before Sharon left for school in 2014, her mother collapsed in their village and was rushed to the hospital. They said she had had a heart attack. But in the hospital, they discovered she was a, had a hemorrhaging brain aneurysm. The neurosurgeon wanted to operate straight away, but Sharon and her family said they will trust the Lord for his healing. A test of faith. After eight days in the hospital, the number of the days the doctor said she had left, and after much prayer, an ambulance took Sharon's mom home. A week later, she was up and about and today is strong, but has no recollection of the events in the hospital. God did a miracle, and we were not prevented by Satan from working on translation with the team before Sharon left for Hawaii. Then Satan began attacking Sharon. When she came home from school the next year, she had surgery for some recurring ailments but we were still able to work with the translation team. Then last year, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Still, we were not prevented from continuing translation in Manila while she was having radiation therapy. And then I worked with the team after she again uh, left for school, the day after her therapy was finished. In all of this, she has prayed and trusted the Lord for her life, and he has honored her faith, and through that has blessed her. Tests show she has no more cancer. The translation team as well, because of their being constantly in the word, understanding it and applying it in their lives, have come closer to Jesus and have seen God increase his kingdom through them. One of them, through his ministry, established a new group of Subanan believers. Pastor Vin's church has had a large increase in members. Miracles happen every day as we run the race with our team as a group, helping each other along, looking to the strength of Jesus' presence all the way to the finish. We praise the Lord for each of you and for those who have been praying for us and the translation. Our race has included many more responsibilities and opportunities for ministry, helping language communities who are losing their language, training college professors in their desire to work with communities in language development activities, and much more. In every endeavor, we work in teams to show love by giving what we know. 
Here is our language documentation team, always keeping our attention on the reality of the presence of Abba Father with us and in us, looking to Jesus, who is our life. Thank you for the privilege of being part of the Faith Missionary Team, missionary team in the Ministry of Bible Translation and Language Development. May God bless us all. Hi, I'm Beth Tebby, and I'm very sorry that Jim can't be with us this morning. Our present assignment is in Lahore, Pakistan, where Jim is the rector or president of Foreman Christian College. And uh, the timing is such that this is the end of our very first week of classes for the fall semester, and it's just not a possible time for college administrators to be away from campus. Um, this year of 2017 is the 40th year that Jim and I have been in missions. And um, both of us have been involved with Faith Church going back to our student days, back to the old building in Broad Ripple. For at least uh, 25 years, Faith Church and Carmel were our home church and our legal residence. And um, there are people here today who have been our supporters going back to at least 1980. And we really thank God for you. And you folks are the true race runners in your faithfulness, just year after year, to missions, to us, to what God is doing in the world. Thought I'd share just a bit about our personal history. Our personal race took us to Pakistan in 1977 as new missionary 20-somethings. And Jim studied at the university there while doing student work. Then we had some visa trouble in Pakistan and we were sent to Bangladesh in a pastoral ministry. And then the suggestion was that Jim earn a secular MA, master's degree, and so that we could go back to Pakistan at the Christian Study Center, but with a secular, uh, secular degree rather than his MDiv. Now Jim has an academic side, but his true gifts are in administration. So uh, in 1986, our mission InterServe asked us to come to their support office in Cyprus, where we were for 16 years. And that went on until InterVarsity then invited Jim to be the director of Urbana in 2001. So we were in Madison for three Urbana cycles, but then in 2009, we were asking the Lord, where do you want us to go for our last formal years of service? What's our last formal job? What should that be? and he sent us back to Pakistan. So he sent us back to a college campus that had been begun by missionaries in 1864, and then in the 1970s taken over by the Pakistani government for 30 years, and in 2003 given back to the Christian community to operate. So it's now a university for about 7,500 students, and it's quite the challenge. Tell you more about the college uh, at lunchtime, but let me describe just a couple of the students that I'm working with as a, a minority student support uh, person. Uh, they're struggling, struggling academically, and my role is to try to work out with them a plan towards graduation, how to get the Fs off their transcript by retaking courses, about how, things that they can do to really proceed towards graduation. There's one young man I'm thinking of who wants to be a pastor, and in order to earn the money to be in college, he's working all night at a call center just to work his way through. His parents have died, and his relatives are not able to fund him very much. The problem with all that kind of intense work at night is that he's too exhausted to do well in the daytime, and so his grades suffer. Now, the work is necessarily at night because the volume of calls is the greatest from the West. So I want you just to suggest that when we call for help on some internet um, website, think about the person who's on the other side of the world who's answering your calls and uh, what their lives are like, that they're working out of a context probably of not much money and uh, this is the best job that they can get and just be thankful for them. These dear people connect us with the resources that we want and Jesus Christ loves and cares for them. He died for them. 
and that might help the annoyance level that we sometimes have when we're trying to <laughs> work out dealing with uh, whatever it is we're asking for. Think about some of them are some of them are Christians, and I, I, I'm thinking of both India and Pakistan, but particular our context is Pakistan. They're running their own races, and sometimes it seems like they're running hard just to stand just to stand still in their precarious lives. But for those who know the Lord, just like for us, He can renew their strength, and they, like us, can run and not be weary. And they can walk but not faint. Morning again. We are Randy and Valerie Beaverson, and it has been our privilege to be sent out by Faith Church over 30 years now with Youth for Christ, uh, with the last 10 of those focused on the Asia-Pacific part of the globe. Uh, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then we're going to use that form of communication for a couple minutes. Look at the screens. <laughs> I thank God for all he has done in my life. In 2012, I accepted the Lord as my savior at the True Disciple Camp. Though I was saved, I could not get close to the Lord as I was in the same family environment. All at home told me that I cannot go for meetings as I was under their authority. Yet, through those obstacles, I secretly went to church or a Bible study. It was through YFC that I immensely grew spiritually. As time went by, I prayed, Lord, help me to serve you. Help me to get close to you. There was a time when all at home allowed me to go to church without any restraint. Yet later, they again opposed my getting close to spiritual things. So I started to continuously pray to God to remove every obstacle to my spiritual life. I thank God today there is no one hindering my walk with the Lord. Now the situation in the home has changed. They haven't accepted Lord, yet they help me sometimes. They even drop me to church. The Lord has blessed me in many ways, and I thank God for everything. An example of the Global Impact Conference theme, Running the Race. He is focused upon the most important element of the short life he has on this planet Earth, his walk with God. Sri Lanka is part of the South Asia region that we focus most of our ministry upon in the Asia Pacific, and that region also includes Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, and India. We've also been heavily involved with Central Asia. There is so much to do that our lives indeed feel like a race at times. We need the perseverance mentioned in the conference theme verses. In fact, we're in very full and sometimes difficult season like that right now. But regardless, we happily echo the Apostle Paul's stated desire to hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I have reason to glory because I did not run in vain. And like Paul, we affirm that we do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that we may share in its blessing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful and it works we see abundant evidence of the power of the gospel to change lives all over the world. There's no other hope, no other truth, no other power unto salvation or gift of grace or way to God outside of the good news of Jesus. It is more powerful than any of us realizes and we count it a high privilege to be part of an organization that retains its desire to see the gospel shared responsibly with every young person in every nation. As you run your race, don't neglect the gospel. Don't doubt it, don't hide it, don't alter it. Glory in it.
Well, we're Doug and Darla Leatherman, and we get to minister here in Indianapolis with a ministry called Crew. Well, Darla and I were eating lunch on a Sunday after church when the call came from Corey and Jim. Corey was an intern with us who played baseball at Butler, and Jim was a freshman lacrosse player at the time. And I had just met Jim for the first time the previous morning. Picked him up at Hinkle Fieldhouse after his Saturday practice and took him to a retreat sponsored by Athletes in Action, which is the athletic branch of Crew. And after spending the day at the retreat, I returned home. Well, on the phone, Corey began, hey, Doug, Jim wants to tell you something. And he sticks Jim on the phone as they're driving home from the retreat. Doug, I just want you to know that I accepted Jesus as my Savior last night. Jim had been religious, but he had never put his faith in Jesus until that retreat. And what happened is that Jim and Corey stayed up until 2 a.m. clarifying the gospel that night. And that was the night that Jim began running with Jesus. Jim jumped into a Bible study on campus, began to grow. Soon after, he received word, though, that his dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Well, because of his love for his father and his concern for his dad's eternal destiny, Jim went home to see his dad, who was a top executive in a telecommunication company out east. And believe it or not, in order for Jim to get time with his dad, he had to make an appointment through the secretary at the company that his dad worked at. Well, Jim showed up for the appointment, met with Mike, his dad, and shared the gospel. And Mike simply said, you know, Jim, I'm not sure why you're even sharing these things with me because you know that I'm a religious man. And nothing happened right away. But Mike survived cancer. Well, a year and a half later, after a lacrosse match at Duke University, Jim and Mike were walking across campus, and they noticed a small chapel. And Mike looked at Jim and said, hey, hey, can we go in here? So they went in, they sat down in the chapel, and and Mike began to explain. He said, Jim, you know, I've been thinking about what you shared with me a year and a half ago at my office. And now here on campus, I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus, and I wanted you to be with me. And there in that little chapel, Mike began his spiritual race. That December, Jim invited his dad, his mom, his sister to one of Crew's winter conferences here in Indy. And at that conference, Mike shared the gospel with his wife, Sally, and she came to Christ. Jim's family returned to the East Coast, where Mike's zeal for the Lord continued to grow, and he shared Christ with his nephew, or Jim's cousin, and he came to Christ as well. Well, Jim graduated from Butler, but remained in Indianapolis working, and in the fall of 2012, I asked Jim if he would stay on and volunteer with us to lead a Bible study with some freshman guys on the football team. And Jim agreed, and Sean and Danny were two of those freshman football players who decided to check things out with Jim. If Sean was here today, he would tell you, I never read my Bible before I got to Butler University. And Danny would say, I never had a Bible before I got to Butler University. And for the next four years, Jim would continue to lead that Bible study on weekends while I had the privilege to disciple Sean and Danny during the course of the week. They started reading their Bibles on their own, going to church, attending retreats, and even a one-week ultimate training camp in Colorado where they learned how to incorporate their faith into their sport. They picked up the baton and began, became leaders of the ministry, multiplying their life, and then passing the baton off to other people, including Isaac and Will. Well, this past summer, Isaac helped to lead a group of 11 football players to the Czech Republic to do ministry with kids using their sports background. And for some of the guys on the team, this was a a brand new experience for them. And it's so fun to see their heart for the Lord starting to grow on campus. For Will, he had the idea of bringing students together on campus for an event called The Gathering. It's a once a semester campus-wide student-led event where everybody's invited to be a part of that. Well, this past spring, Will and the gathering team invited a guy by the name of Daryl Smith to come and speak because they heard this guy speak at a crew conference. But not realizing that that Daryl was one of crew's national directors and he actually lived in Orlando, they just went for it and asked him anyway. Daryl's response was priceless. How can I say no to a group of students like this wanting to impact their campus for Christ? So at Daryl's own expense, he flew up for 12 hours, spoke, shared the gospel, and 10 students indicated decisions for Christ.
we had more time, we would tell you about Tim, Rob, and Aaron, Kayla, and Tyler, David, Stephanie, Bobby, and many others on campus who have picked up the baton and are running the race for Jesus. And if you're wondering, Jim and his wife Ashley, they've moved back east near MIT. And in Jim's words, he says, the Lord has literally brought the nations to our doorstep. People from China, Dubai, and Kuwait are living right next to us. It's been an awesome ministry to develop relationships, love them well, and show them what's different about knowing the Lord. Jim's dad, once again, is uh, struggling with cancer. Pray for him. But a praise is that two years ago, the Lord finished bringing Jim's family to Christ as his youngest sister came to know Jesus. And though there's been uh, lots of bumps and stumbles and uphill climbs along the course, we're so grateful for the Lord's grace and his power over these 27 years and also grateful for all of you guys for running with us as we continue to minister to college students with crew. Good morning. We're David and Emily Satola. We've been in Italy for the past five years. This Run the Race theme of this year's Global Impact Conference has made me reflect on two of my favorite hobbies, running and cycling. As I thought about the, these ways that I enjoy physical activity, it reminded me of my first few weeks after moving to Italy. Part of learning to run in an ancient city with narrow, crowded streets of Perugia included dodging city buses. In fact, there was one day when I was nearly hit by a bus as it was rounding a tight corner. And then the very next day, I was again almost hit, this time by a tiny but speeding smart car driven by a Catholic priest. <laughs> so the next day, as I started out my run, I said to Emily, if I get hit today by a speeding bus driven by a Catholic priest, I'm going to take that as a sign that we need to go back to the U.S. <laughs> Thankfully, that did not happen. And um, reflecting on these events, however, reminded me of the similarities between running and ministry. I can think of three components of a successful run. First, you must know where you're going. You must have a route in mind or at least know the terrain of your run. Secondly, the core of running, what keeps you going is of course your heart and lungs. And lastly, the runner's feet are where the rubber meets the road, where they, they, they take him where he or she wants to go. Over the past five years since we, live in, since we left Indianapolis to live and serve in Italy, we can't count the ways that God has encouraged and sustained us in the race marked out for us. He's given us an abundant amount of grace to learn the Italian language and culture. One year ago, we launched into a new phase of the race as we moved to our long-term ministry city called Forlì. As the ministry goals in our new city have unfolded, we see them as the three components of a successful run. In other words, the balance of the head, heart, and hands in ministry that we learned from our time of training at Columbia Biblical Seminary. So in the place of the head, we have the passing along of knowledge and theological training. Andre and Tatiana are a Moldovan couple living in Forli and shepherding a small church of Romanian and Moldovan immigrants to Italy. Andre and Tatiana are a young family. They're young also in their faith themselves, and they desire and recognize their need for training and discipleship. So it is our privilege to walk alongside them as the, and play a part in their ministry. In the place of the heart, we have the Path of Hope Ministry Center. It's a platform on which our heartbeat for unreached post-Christian Italians beats strong. It's here where our missional relationships come together through a variety of activities and services with the goal of creating a community of Christ seekers. Valentina and Ricardo are a couple that I met through English conversation class I taught. We quickly became friends, and just before our home assignment began, they invited us to spend a weekend with them in their hometown. Please, pl please pray for Valentina and Ricardo to continue to have a hunger to know Christ. In the place of the hands and feet, we have our response to the refugees and the victims of human trafficking. In Jeremiah 22:3, we read these words. This is what the Lord says, to do what is just and right, 
rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. In recent months and years, Italy has been the receiving ground for hundreds of thousands of refugees from Eastern Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. There are thousands of women who are trafficked into Italy for prostitution and illegal gain. Once these people arrive in Italy, despite the stunning beauty often associated with our adopted country, they often find themselves trapped in a hopeless cycle of evil. It is our desire to reach out to them in practical ways while extending to them the life-giving hope of the gospel. So we'd like to leave you this morning with a few comments that have been said to us by Italians that we've befriended over these past few years. I don't know if I believe in God, but maybe someday someone will convince me. I would really like to learn how to be your spiritual brother. I've never heard of salvation through Jesus' sacrifice alone. I remember the concepts of penance and good works being taught to me, but never grace, never. Yes, I would like to study the Bible with you. If someone can move their family across the ocean and still have a smile on their face, I want to understand why. In Faith Church, let's, let us leave you with this beautiful moment of realization by my very dear friend Louisa in Perugia, who said to me, I understand now that you have been sent here by people who love Jesus, who are passionate about serving him, and who give generously from their hearts. They are so different than we are here in this country, where we feel pressured to give to the church, to earn some kind of merit, not knowing at all where the money even goes. Your people have a true faith and heart for Jesus. So we thank you, Faith Church, not only for being a part of our great cloud of witnesses, as you encourage us in so many ways in the race that Christ has marked out for us, but also for being in that race with us, together fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and on the joy set before us. It's a privilege to serve with you and run together towards the prize of knowing Christ and making him known. I should just briefly mention David and Emily have uh, been in the States for six months or so on their sabbatical and are going back to Italy on Tuesday. So they extended their trip just to, to be here at this Global Impact Conference. Well, at this point, we're, uh, we're going to take our offering. And as the ushers come forward and prepare for the offering, I just want to give you a quick primer on how we support missions at faith, because it's a little different. In the seat back in front of you should be something like this. It's the 2017 designated giving form that uh, walks you through how we support missionaries and how we support the general church funds at Faith Church. Uh, there's basically four different support areas. Our general church ministries, that's our budget. You know, we, we vote on and approve every year. But there's also a benevolence, which is a specific designated ministry fund that you can give to by writing benevolence on a check or on a donation, uh, which is go goes to assist those in crisis needs within our church and within the community. But specifically for missions, there's two different funds. One is the missions fund itself, which the global outreach team uses to meet special needs, host events, uh, distribute to our missionaries at time, provide missionary care, uh, pay for education and development of missions at faith, or to uh, resource the duplex across the street or the cars that our missionaries use when they come back through on furlough or sabbatical or when they're just coming through to visit family. But to support a specific missionary at faith, uh, you have to select that person individually. So if you give a, a donation and you just write missions on it, that goes to the general fund, which does support missions, but it doesn't support any one missionary specifically. The way that works is on the back of this form, where it says, designate your giving. So if you've heard a story from someone, and each of these missionaries, if you go to their lunch, they're going to share their financial need with you. But if you heard a story from someone and really connected with the ministry that they're doing, I'd encourage you, write their name on here in a monthly or annually gift that you would like to donate. And then on the front of the sheet, you'll see how there's different ways to give, and the church office can help you with that. I know it says, um, leave this, send it to the church office, put in your offering, and put attention surely. 
These were made before Shirley retired, so just put attention Mr. Shirley and Chris will get those <laughs> and make sure they go to the right place. All right, if the ushers will come forward now, we'll take our offering. Don't feel pressured to get this thing filled out before the plate comes by you. You can drop it off uh, in the office anytime this week. Thanks. Good morning. Our scripture passage is from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Faith Church. It is an absolute delight to be with you this morning and to be back into a place where I walk around and, and truly it is the reminder of the great cloud of witnesses that we have around us. I walk in and I go, oh, Jan Cummer. I, you know, and I just kept running into people all day, so I need to run into more of you. I'm having to have a little talk inside my own head to not be distracted by some of your faces that I have not seen yet and the joy that it is to be with you and to be with men and women and children who have a love for God that extends beyond themselves into the community and into the world. Thank you for your faithfulness to me that started long before I said yes to anything around global missions personally. Uh, it is at Faith Church where I had some of my best short-term mission experience and short-term missions here is a training ground for more. And then when I said yes to leave this place and go join Wycliffe Bible Translators 15 years ago, you've walked with me. Some of you week after week, month after month, and not just sending checks, which are good and important, <laughs> but your love and your care uh, and investing in me and making sure that I was doing the things I needed to do and live in the way that God has called us to live. So thank you for that. Thank you for uh, that investment in the kingdom and in me personally. I'll also say that if I did not extend this to you, I'd be in trouble. My father, who lives with you, sends his greetings. If you know him, he says hello. If you don't, he might still say hello. Uh, and he would also want you to know that we have a spare room and the welcome mat is out. Come on up. We have a lot of cheese in Wisconsin. <laughs> so for more than five decades, Faith Church has a significant and fairly uncommon global impact you know you're not an average church, don't you? Some might suggest that missions is in faith's DNA. Have you heard that before? I've said it before. Missions is in faith's DNA. But I believe that maybe what we really need to know is that missions is in God's DNA. And as an individual, I can choose to align myself with who God is and who he's created to me to be, or I can walk away from it. I choose that every day. And as a church, you choose it too. And that would suggest to me that within any generation, you could walk away from this thing that is the heart of God for the nations. You're just one generation away from not being a church with missions in your DNA. That's not a scary threat thing. That's just the reality. We have to re-up year after year after day after day. So I want us to look this morning at a big picture. I'm a big picture person. I have to stand way back to see how something fits inside the bigger thing before I know what to do with it. That's how I'm wired, and so I'm taking you on that journey with me today. And so I'm going to start at the end. I'm not one of those ones that reads the end of the book all the time to find out if I want to read it or not, but I'm going to start at the end this morning, and I'm going to start in the book of Revelation. This is a place where there is an unveiling of an unseen reality, this beautiful eternity with God on the throne and Jesus, the slain lamb, with him. Jesus, the slain lamb, who is considered to be worthy, not just to be worshipped, 
but to be the one who fulfills all of God's promises for us that God had laid out. This is this unseen reality, and it is there in eternity, not just God around his throne, but truly worshipers from every language community, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethne, all the corners of the world, worshiping God in this beautiful place. That unseen reality, that new creation that we read about in Revelation, is something that we struggle with to understand because you and I are caught in the confines of time and space. We're stuck in a place that doesn't understand how to, we, we can't grasp eternity, and so we see eternity as the thing that's in the future. It's the not yet to our now. But Revelation uses the words, it's an unveiling of an eternal reality, not a, hu- a future reality alone. So there's another reality, and it starts over here conveniently. If you're over here and you're worried that I was going to ignore you. But that's the reality that we read in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. The beginning. In the beginning, God created. And that's our beginning. Our story starts there. Time and space begins when God created it. And in this beginning, God creates, and he says, it's good. Now, in our world of superlatives, good is about a dead center okay, It's just this side of meh, you know, and the other side of very good, but there are like 35 other words that are way better than good. That's not what it means in in, in Genesis. When God said it's good, God was an artist creator. He was looking at what he created, and he said, and if you're an artist, you know how much this means, this is exactly what I wanted this to be, It looks exactly how I wanted it to look. It functions exactly in the way that I intended it to function. This is good. And that is where creation is. And then we come. We rebelled. Adam and Eve, and with them, all of us, sinned. And sin broke all the right relationships that God had created. See, at creation, when it was good, humanity's relationship with God was right and good. Humanity's relationship with one another, Adam and Eve, right and good. The relationship with earth, the created things, was good. And sin came along and all those relationships were broken. Now, we've long called that event the fall. I don't like that term. I'm not using it anymore. I like to call it the Great Rebellion. Because see, this wasn't one of those things where we kind of tripped and fell accidentally, oops. It was a choice. It was a choice we made to say, I'm in charge, I'll take care of it myself, I know better, I'm as good as, I know as much as, it's okay God, we've got this. And we broke all of those relationships. And since then, God has been working in and through us, confined inside of time and space, as well as in an internal realm, bringing all those relationships back into his intended design. It's the work of redemption. It is the work of reconciliation. And all that time, while we're stuck in this time and space place, Satan strives to undermine God's redemptive work. So if we drew a line from creation to new creation, and we're Westerners, so we like lines. They're straight and controlled. If we drew a line from that place to this place, uh, that line would be, I believe, the mission of God to bring all things back into the order that he intended them to be. And right in the center of the line, and it works out really well. If you can imagine the creation on that side of the wall and new creation on this side of the wall, the cross would be right dead center. Not because it comes at the exact middle point of the chronological time so that we can do math and figure it all out and know when the end is coming, because wasn't that yesterday that was supposed to be the most recent end? Whatever. It's not for that, but it is the turning point of the whole story. It is a place at which God, through Jesus Christ, Jesus, the only one who could do this, he turns everything around. He takes what we did when we came and we entered into sin, and he brings an answer to it, and he brings the possibility of reconciled relationships, all of them. And then God not just says, you can be saved from your sin, for by grace we are saved, but he says, and then you can join me on this Join me on this line. Join me on this thing that I'm doing. Join me in this work, in my mission to reconcile all of it back to me. Join me in that. 
Jesus gave the last directive to his disciples and threw them to us and said the thing, we call it the Great Commission. We like to make plaques and name things things. Apparently we have the fall and then we've got the Great Commission. But this is where Jesus says, as you're going out into the whole world, he, he created us to be curious and to wonder and to want to go out into the, as you're going into the whole world, make disciples. Be a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples, who makes disciples. Do that good work. Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians. Starting, it's chapter five, starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So if you're under the cross and in Christ, you're a new creation already. The old is past, the, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry, that, that is his mission, the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. Imagine that. Imagine that. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have said yes, please, to his invitation to grace, to forgiveness, to complete restoration, if you have done that, then you are a called one. You are called to be a disciple-making disciple. You are called to be an ambassador of reconciliation. These are not jobs for the elite. They are not unique callings for the few. They're not special missionary tasks. They're not just for the professional ministers. We are all invited to fully bear witness in word and indeed, with every aspect of our lives, every breath we take, every cell in our being, to who God is and what he has done. To know Christ and to make him known in all of our life. This called life takes a lot of forms. I do believe that God creates us uniquely. He gives us specific gifts and skills, and then he gives us experiences that develop us and prepare us for the next thing. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that we, as we walk through our life and as we step forward with him in ministry, he guides us and directs us to specific unique things. When I first uh, made the announcement that I was going to leave Faith Church and join Wycliffe Bible Translators, somebody, and I have no idea who it was, so if it's used, I really, I really don't know, um, who said to me, oh, do you feel like you finally you know, heard God's calling on your life and you're being obedient? I'm 40 years old thinking, going, you know, wow, that'd be hard if I'd been fighting God for 40 years. But I really didn't think, oh, I finally got it now. It's like, no, this is just the next thing. Like, I was doing exactly what God sent me to, the thing I was doing here when I was doing children's ministry at Faith. That was the calling of God on my life, what he had created for me, and what he was using to prepare me for the next thing. Because both of those things always happening. Now, we're eventually going to get to the passage that Beth read. I promise we are. But in order to look at Hebrews chapter 12, if you've studied the scriptures at all, you know we have to look at Hebrews chapter 11 because Hebrews chapter 12 begins with a therefore word. And if therefore is there, then you have to see what it's there for. It's, you know, that's that a free one if you've not heard that before. Um, so we need to go back. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we have a definition of faith and then we see a lot of examples from it. We're not gonna do a deep dive here, but I'd love to make a few observations that I think will help us. First is this definition of faith that looks at it and calls faith, it's this resolute confidence. It's an absolute certainty. It's the assurance of what we hope for. And if we are living in this space with God, what we hope for is that unveiled, is to, it's that reality in eternity. It's that perfect place with perfect relations where everything is reconciled back to the way God intended it to be. That is what we hope for. It is being absolutely convinced that even though we don't see it now, it will be. It is and it will be. And if we know that, we live differently. Then let me summarize all of the, the chapter before we look at a few details. I really think that essentially the chapter says people of faith respond to God's truth, his invitation, and his direction with one answer, yes. And then we put that yes into action. 
We do it even when critical aspects of the fulfillment of the yes are not yet visible to us, when it feels improbable, when it feels ridiculous, when it makes us nauseous, when we're not, it couldn't possibly be God asking us to do this thing. That's, I've never done that before. We say yes because we believe that if God is asking it and he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do, we have to. We are compelled to say yes. If you look, if you've got your Bibles open and you're in that passage now in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to start with verse 33, and I want to read a list of things that are true about people of faith. These are historical references to actual people that the author knew about. He knew their stories, but I'm going to read it in sort of the... I'm going to read it in the tense that it includes us because I believe we are included. I believe the followers of Jesus today are included in this list. What do people of faith do? Conquer kingdoms. Enforce justice. Obtain promises. Stop the mouths of lions. Quench the power of the fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Made strong in their weaknesses. Become mighty in war. Receive back our dead by resurrection. I feel like I'm on a movie set for Braveheart. It's like, I want to be on that team. And then I keep reading. People of faith are tortured. They're imprisoned. They face mocking and flogging. Chains and imprisonment are put to death by stoning, are sawed in two, are killed by the sword. Unless we dare think those are all historical realities for people of faith, let me assure you it is not true. We know that. We live in a time when we are aware of things that are happening to our brothers and sisters around the world that we might not have known about in the past. We've seen some videos that are, we've got images stuck in our mind of what it is to be martyred for the faith. My friend, I'm going to call him Cam, we're classmates together at Fuller. He's among those who live out this kind of authentic, beautiful faith. He was born in Iran. As a, as a university student, he went to study in India for a while. There were some opportunities there that looked very promising for him. And while he was in India, he met some Christ followers. And through those Christ followers, he met Jesus. And he fell in love with Jesus and began to follow him and began to read the scriptures. And over time, he was discipled and he was trained up as a leader. He was developed well. And then God began to give him dreams, as God does for some. And those dreams, he, he interpreted those dreams to mean that God's intent for him was that he would go and serve his own people in Iran to take the truth of the gospel to his own uh, family and community. Having grown up not just in Iran, but in a Muslim family, you know that this was going to be interesting and a challenge. And it is a life calling that has taken a variety of forms over time. But there was a particular time a few years ago, Cam and his wife returned to Iran with their two young children. And there they were working as trainers and mentors for church planters in their community. Eventually, Cam, along with his wife, was arrested, and he was held. And after long weeks of isolation and endless interrogation and psychological abuse, in fact, abuse that included uh, his guards having conversations where he could hear them that led him to believe that his wife was dead when she, in fact, was not. I mean, so through all of those kinds of things, um, so here he's enduring this, this horrible place and this difficult time. And finally, one day, he's being brought into the room to be interrogated again. And I want to read his words to you. So he wrote this, this account of his story. As the days wore on, my physical condition worsened. My heart was affected from the stress of the mental torture. I was not eating or sleeping well. I felt shriveled inside. One day, in such a condition, I sat blindfolded facing the corner of the interrogation room while the same man responsible for all the pressure I was under questioned me. As I listened to him, I noticed his voice was growing weaker. I asked him, can I tell you something? He gave me permission, 
You sound tired, I said. My back hurts. Because of people like you, I have to work so hard, he replied. It was at that moment in my miserable condition as his prisoner that I felt my heart grow warm with the love of God for this man. And I responded according to that love. Can I pray for your back? I asked. He responded quickly with a positive, sure. See, most Muslims I knew never turned down an offer of prayer. Perhaps he thought I would go back to my cell and pray for him, or maybe this was just using the religious talk that was common in society. But when I said, no, would you come forward so that I can place my hand on your back and pray for you? He stood quiet for what felt like a long time. The atmosphere of the room changed. The interrogation room suddenly turned into a ministry room. And it was there and then that the words of Jesus in Matthew, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, made sense to me in a way that I'd never in my life experienced so deeply. I sat in awe, awe of the fact that God was using me, one who was being persecuted for my faith in him as an instrument of his hand to show his love to my persecutor. My interrogator eventually broke the silence in the room. You know what? Sometimes when I go from here, I have dreams about Jesus. I wonder if one day I will become a Christian. See, in that moment, Cam experienced and lived out a resolute confidence in the one that he put his hope in. An absolute certainty of what was to come. And he stepped into that certainty with action and with word. Without fear and with great love. He bore witness to the grace and love of God. Now because I've had the privilege of sitting with Cam over a meal that went for hours one day and a number of other times, I've heard a lot more of his story. And I can tell you, his enduring faith, his witness in that prison was not perfect. He struggled hard in those places. And he'll talk about a time where there was a significant crisis of faith. He was so hurt and so angry and so frustrated and so uncertain and he was believing the lies that he was being told and that he was telling himself that he quit praying altogether. But like all of us, his faith was strengthened and stretched through exercise and God was faithful to him and did not leave him in that place but drew him back to himself and proved himself faithful to Cam and so Cam could continue on in his faith and he grew stronger. God's work in Cam's life didn't start with the event that I told you. It started much earlier. It started with baby steps. The seed of faith grows into a tree over time, not moment in a moment. I mean, really. God did not call me to be a missionary with Wycliffe Bible translators when I was 13. That's the summer he was very clear to me and he says, love me. Love me with your life. He didn't ask me to say yes to executive leadership in Wycliffe when I was 25. That's the year that he said, no, I want you to keep driving that really sweet Chevette <laughs> instead of buying that brand new sports car that I'd already test driven. I had the keys in my hand. I even took it home. I drove it into the drive. I put it in the garage. It was beautiful. And there were tears, truly sobbed when I finally said no to myself and took the car back. I, I was not crying when I handed the keys in, but when I made the decision, it was a hard one for me. I really wanted the car. But I was obedient in the moment. And a few months later, God invited me to serve in China for the summer teaching English. I could have never said yes to that invitation if I had car payments, because car payments were going to make me get a summer job. He didn't ask me to direct Urbana when I was 40. That's the year he asked me to leave Indianapolis and Faith Church and to go be a graphic designer again. See, God prepares us for the thing he has next, but he's in the process of preparing us for the thing. He grows our faith so that we are ready for the next thing that he invites us to. And I believe that's true for us as individuals. I believe that's true for Faith Church as a church. You are called to things now that you were not ready for 30 years ago. He has grown your faith, 
and you are, you are expanding in your ministry. I love to see that. So here we are now finally, Hebrews chapter 12. It's, you know, 19 pages in and we're ready to get to it. It's okay, it's actually the shorter part of this whole talk. Let me begin with that first phrase. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. It was a typical reference to a crowd. Uh, but this cloud is not described as fans or spectators or judges. I used to think, oh, witnesses. Yeah, they're witnessing us run. Sweet. Wave. You know, like they're cheering. This is beautiful. No. The term is very clear that is referencing this is a, a crowd that surrounds us that is bearing witness in their word and deed through their whole lives to the fact that God is who he says he is and does what he says he does. And we saw those examples in the chapter. There's more. You can dig through it for weeks. The day I said yes to Tom Lynn's invitation to be the director for Urbana, he said, great, you're going to start experiencing something that's my favorite part of the job. Here's what's going to happen. People are going to find out you're doing this Urbana thing, and if they've ever been to an Urbana before, they're going to tell you the story of the Urbana that they've been to. They'll probably name the year even in the telling of that. And then they'll tell you how God used Urbana to shape their life, to change their mind, to direct them into a new place, to take them into missions. Ah, it's true. It really has happened. I loved it. It's one of my favorite new parts of the job. But here's what I love about it particularly. Those witnesses of God's faithfulness give me courage to keep doing the thing that I'm doing right now. Because there's a whole lot of, of any of our work that we do that is a little mundane. It's, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes there's challenges. Sometimes we have to do stuff we don't like to do. I'll tell you about those expense reporting. You know, <laughs> So, surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, what do we do? We lean in to the witness of faithful ones. So, because I taught children's, I did children's ministry here, so I feel the need, and so you'll do it with me. We lean in. No, you're not moving yet. This is where you all move. There's children, help the adults around you. We lean in to the cloud of witnesses. We listen. I ask myself some questions, you know, when I want to take a check. How am I doing with my leaning in to the cloud of witnesses? Which voices are the ones that convince me of things? Which stories are defining me these days? Who am I listening to on my podcasts? Now, I know this is going on around here. There's some good leaning in happening at Faith Church. Faith stories, amazing leaning in. And if you haven't been a part of those and haven't listened to those, get online, download those things, and listen. lean into those stories of God. In this space, listening to the stories of missionaries, I've been leaning in as my brothers and sisters tell stories, but I'm leaning into you as well. Some of you have been telling me the stories of God's faithfulness in your life. Keep it up. Don't become weary in doing the hard work that it requires so that you together as a body can lean in to, the, to this cloud of witnesses. Then the next phrase uh, let us throw off every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let me just confess, I like the NIV better here. It's more visual. It's more helpful for me. The NIV says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Because there are times, when, I mean, I get the sin thing. But the hinder part, that one starts to meddle. So, First of all, let's go to an image. First century runners, when they ran, these are people that wore these long, roby things. So their first choice when they ran was to sort of grab the hem of their robe, yank it up around themselves, tuck it over, tuck it into their belt, tighten up the belt, and start running. And, and then they could run better and not get tangled up in their robes as they went. There was some risk of that because the belt might explode or fall apart or do whatever, but, but that worked. The athletes who were serious about their running stripped it all off. They ran buck naked. I said naked right here at Faith Church. <laughs> so our faith living is choked and tripped up and sabotaged by sin and we know that, we understand it, we have things, I hope you have things in your life that help you, keep you from the sins that you are most likely to uh, get caught up in. Because you and I don't all have the same junk that follows us around and trips us up. But this faithful witness is also hindered by good things that distract us or slow us down. Can you say Facebook 
And some of you know that I'm on Facebook plenty, and I, I can tell you I've used Facebook as a tool to be a witness to others and to be witnessed to by others. It's a beautiful thing. It's neutral. But too often, I turn that thing on, meaning to be there for 10 seconds. I come out for breath an hour and a half later, and all I am is irritated, and I feel bad. When do we decide what we're going to throw off? Because it's hindering us from the things. So we lean in. Okay, I didn't give you the warning. We lean in to the faithful witness, and then we throw off. This is more fun to do, isn't it? Throw off the entanglements of idolatry. Because in both cases, that sin and those things that hinder us are idols for us. I ask myself these questions. What possessions are distracting me from the important things in my life? What opinions possess me right now? What idols are controlling me? What distractions suck up my time and energy? What makes me less effective in disciple-making? What holds me back from being a part of a community of reconcilers? What broken relationships in this body are keeping Faith Church from being a church of reconciliation? We have to address these things. No, athletic, no professional athletic team, no college. Doug, you can bear witness to me. College coaches would not allow horrible things. They would not allow runners to run with ropes around their ankles. If we know there's ropes, cut them off. Throw them away. So we're surrounded by the witnesses. We throw off the weight and the sin that hinders and then let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, the race that is marked out for us. This is the imperative statement in the whole thing, run the race. And I, I've said this before, this, I believe, is the enduring life of faith. It is what it is to join God on his mission, to know what we know to be true and to live according to that. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. It requires enduring faith. Enduring faith implies exercise. That we push and are pushed, we are stretched. It sometimes hurts, no pain, no gain. That, I don't know, who's, but that's as much a truth in spiritual growth and development as it is anywhere. We grow our faith over time. What do I need to sustain an enduring witness in word and deed through both easy and difficult seasons? I need a cloud of witnesses for sure. And this race is God's mission. Anything else is not the race. Anything else we do, if it is not actually contributing to what God is doing on mission, to the reconciliation of all of creation back to his intended order, it's not the race. And it has the potential of being a distraction and an idol. We're not called to all of that. We are called to run the race. So we, uh, here we're ready to lean now. We lean in to the witness of the faithful and we throw off the entanglements of adultery and then we, uh, we continue to be absorbed by. And I don't know, how do you, what's a motion for absorbed by? I wanted to make noises, but that gets weird in the sound. People usually freak out when you make sound effects. But, but we continue to be absorbed into the mission of God for the glory of God. If you've been running this race for a long time, there are things that you find are, are almost second nature. They're in, they are in your DNA. They have been embedded into who you are. It is part of your identity. And so I ask myself these questions as when I want to do a check of how I'm doing in this area. Whose mission is compelling me these days? My own? Am I on a mission from me? Is it a, is it a mission that comes from the organization I work for, the company that I work for, or my favorite celebrity's favorite cause of the day? Is it the mission that comes because of a political party that I'm interested in right now? Is it some, what is it that is compelling me? Faith Church, whose mission is embedded in your DNA these days? Is it a pastor's or the elder's? Is it the mission from some historic group, the people who are old and dead now? Because, I mean, there's some that are old and dead now and you continue to follow. Is it that? Is it the mission that we see because our children are moving us in a direction? Or is it the mission of God? Sometimes hard to see the difference. Sometimes those things line up so well together that there is no difference. But we have to ask the question, whose mission is it that's compelling me? I love the ways that Faith Church has retained a commitment to global missions while also growing a commitment to serve in this local community. 
It is absolutely beautiful, and I celebrate the ways that you're bringing the kingdom of God into Nora through English classes and a whole lot of other things that I continue to learn about. I also like the way that you are calling thousands of North American students to give their whole lives to God's global mission through Urbana because your prayerful and financial support of me is contributing to that. Some of you volunteered last time. I expect to see you in St. Louis in December of 18. So we're surrounded. We throw off. We run the race looking to Jesus, the founder, the pioneer, the author, the source of our faith, and the perfecter, the finisher, the completer, the fulfiller, of our faith. I sometimes frankly think we try to make this more, this whole running the race thing more complex than it is. That somehow knowing what it is that God wants us to do, it takes us hours and weeks and months of straining and trying to figure it out and looking for, I don't know, and then we start getting out the Ouija boards. No, you don't really, but you know what I mean. We start trying to turn it into some sort of thing that's magically gonna come. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy. We know there's challenges to it. But there is a simplicity to it. You want to know how to run a race with perseverance? The one that's marked out for us? Watch Jesus. Watch Jesus. And do what he did. Do what he does. Live the life he lived. Follow him in the things that he did in his life on earth. And follow the teachings that he gave to us. I've often thought I need to stand in a position and wait until I know all the way to where I'm going, that I want to see where the end of the race is so that I can get there, but I don't think that's how God has ever worked with us. It's not how he worked with Abraham. Look back at those Old Testament characters that are in chapter 11. He often says, start walking and I'll tell you what to do next when you get to the place where you need to make a decision. Start moving toward. Start living what you know to be absolutely true and then let God form you as you go along the way. So we lean in to the witness of the faithful and we throw off the entanglements of idolatry and we are absorbed into the mission of God and we focus on the perfection of Jesus. Jesus is the faithful witness. It's interesting, if you go to Revelation, to that place where eternity is revealed, it is one of the earliest descriptions of Jesus there. While we have a cloud of faithful witnesses, Jesus is the faithful witness. So keep looking at Jesus' faith, church. Keep listening to his words and pattering your steps after his. Rehearse and hold tightly to the promises of God. My prayer for you is that you will be marked by a courageous and joyful confidence that Jesus is bringing all of God's promises to fulfillment and he's involving you every step, every day, every ounce of your being, every cell in your body, every moment in that thing that he is doing. And that we will one day stand around the throne of people from every ethnic group, every community, and there will be worship unending. From that place of complete confidence, keep pointing others to him. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Amen.